Ephesians 2. And make sure you have one of our lessons. This is our last lesson in our series. And yeah, we'll go ahead and dismiss the kids. Sorry. Dismiss the young people and the teenagers. We'll dismiss all the people that want to escape. Bye, Hans. And uh, make sure you have one of the lessons, you guys. Lesson number 13, a lesson on consistency. A lesson on consistency as we look the next several weeks here. Uh, this last lesson on the life of Peter, we're going to look at several passages uh, this morning. And uh, Somebody has some grandkids walking in back there, Ahmad. You might recognize them. Look here with me in Galatians 2. We're going to be looking into the book of Acts as well. We're going to get back there in a moment. Uh, but let's read along here. Follow along with me, Galatians chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 11 through 14 as we begin this morning. Galatians 2, 11, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Let's pray together. Lord, as we pause this morning, Lord, to look again at Peter, Lord, not as a new follower of Christ here. Lord, we don't find him a immature believer or follower. Rather, we find him farther down the road. We find him now involved in ministry for a long time. We find him a bit older, and yet we see that he still needed to learn. He still needed to grow. He had to be challenged here over what was not right. Lord, I pray that as we begin this thought today that we'll look at the next several weeks, Lord, that we would see the importance of consistency. Consistency in our walk with you. Consistency in our service. Consistency as disciples, as followers, as learners of Christ. Lord, I pray you'd help me to teach you right your word this morning. Lord, would you be glorified? Help us now. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We see here Peter is no longer just a new follower. By the way, no longer is he just recovering a little bit. Uh, are we okay with this, Darren? Recovering just a little bit from denying the Lord. This is much farther down the road. And yet we see that he had some struggles uh, 
in that, I want us to be reminded and to see some things today and uh, see that as believers, we need consistency. We're not going to stay the course. Uh, we're not going to continue uh, to grow unless it is on purpose. And we see some things here in this passage, and we're going to look in the book of Acts as well. We're going to see some things about consistency. William Shakespeare. How many of you remember reading Shakespeare when you were in school? Uh, Brother Ahmad uh, shared a statement with me uh, a while ago uh, about someone speaking uh, Farsi in a different dialect. And, uh, and he said, imagine if you heard someone uh, you know, reading Shakespeare in a different how You'd struggle to understand. How many of you struggled to understand Shakespeare even in English uh, when you were in high school? You did. Now, William Shakespeare, you know, the one that, the one that you had to read, you know, uh, about Romeo and Juliet, remember that? Uh, you had to read about all those different people that you don't care about now. Uh, I would quote Romeo and Juliet to you, but you'd be embarrassed that I actually remember my Shakespeare from high school. But Shakespeare is uh, given credit for making this statement. Consistency, thou art a jewel. And no doubt a true statement made by Mr. Shakespeare, if in fact he is the one that said it. Consistency is important. Consistency is effectiveness in the Christian life. Consistency is a wonderful thing. How many of you are glad when you went out this morning to start your car, you're glad it started? Isn't that wonderful? How many of you, like me, have ever owned a car that before you tried to start it, you, had, you knew you had to pray first and say, oh, God, please let it start this morning? You've been there? I've been there lots of times. Uh, some of you, you've never experienced that. Some of you, if your car didn't start, you go, what in the world? This has never happened in my whole life. Uh, every time a car starts, I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. It's going to run one more day. But consistency is a wonderful thing. And it's a wonderful thing when it comes to the life of a disciple and our purpose for him. Here in our passage in Galatians, and as I mentioned, we're going to look in the book of Acts some too. In our passage here in Galatians, we find Paul challenging Peter. Uh, now, we're not talking about a couple of guys getting in a knockdown, drag-out fight here. We're talking about one believer saying to another believer, hey, you're not right scripturally here. Hey, you, you've got to get back on course. You've, gotta, you've deviated from the gospel is the wording we see here. And we see that Paul encourages and helps Peter to be consistent in his manner of conduct. Basically, what it was, Peter was acting one way with one group of believers. And then with another group of believers, he was acting another way. He was inconsistent. Uh, and Paul called him out on it and said, hey, what's wrong with you? Why, if you're living this way, why would you want someone else to live that way? Why would you be inconsistent with your dealing with people? And God wants us to have consistency in our life, in our spiritual life, in our interaction with others. Uh, he wants that genuineness. And so often that genuineness disappears. And that's what had happened with Peter. Peter had, had gone from being genuine to being disgenuine. And Paul was encouraging him. 
God had already made it clear to Peter. I mean, we're going to look at it probably this morning. If not, we'll look at it next week. God had made it clear to Peter in a vision that the gospel of Christ was not to be kept from anyone. Peter's sleeping one day. He's having a good nap. And as he's sleeping in his dream, he sees this big, giant bed sheet coming down out of heaven. And it drops down, and there's all kinds of animals there on the bed sheet. Must have been a, definitely a king bed, at least a king bed bed sheet. California king, maybe. All these animals are there, probably deer and moose and uh, rabbits and squirrels and uh, pigs, hallelujah, uh, catfish, amen, some shrimp. Uh, they're all there on that bed sheet, and... The Lord said to Peter in the dream, Peter, arise, kill and eat. And Peter went, not me, Lord. I'm a good Jew. Hold on. The Lord had to remind Peter where his identity was. His identity was not in being a Jew. His identity was being in Christ. And Peter said, and the Lord told Peter, what I said is clean is clean. Go kill it and eat it. Now, that wasn't about him eating catfish and shrimp and and pork, although it was okay for him. It was about the fact that Peter had it in his mind, as did many of the early disciples, that the gospel was only for them, that they had to protect the gospel and keep it only for the Jews. God had very plainly in a vision given to Peter, and by the way, after that vision, he went and shared the gospel with a Gentile. Peter understood that the gospel was for everyone. The Lord had plainly given him that. Actually, turn back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Powerful verse here. Acts 10, verse 28, and he said unto them, this, this is Peter speaking. Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Well, we'd do well if we'd learned the truth that Peter learned there. Peter had understood plainly the gospel was for everyone. But can I tell you what happened to Peter? Peer pressure. Peter was fellowshipping with these Gentile believers. He's eating with them. He's, he's fellowshipping with them. He's probably having some, some pulled pork there with them. Uh, he's enjoying a meal with these Gentile believers. All of a sudden, Peter sees some Jewish believers come in. And Peter said, well, I, fellas, I got to go now. I got, I, I'm, I'm full. I got to go home. Why? Because he had allowed peer pressure. He would allowed culture to affect him beyond God's purpose, and there was inconsistency there in his life. Number one, I want you to see, and we're going to look in Acts chapter 10. We're not going to read the whole passage. I I almost did this morning, but we're not going to do that. Uh, The entire passage is basically Peter, uh, Peter's vision, Peter preaching to Cornelius. Cornelius 
the Bible says in verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house and gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Thy prayers and thine alms come up before a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now we know the rest of the story. Peter had that vision. After that vision, men came and Peter would go and Peter would preach to Cornelius. We see here that Peter was being, number one in your notes, Peter was being cooperative. As we begin to look at this incident in Peter's life in Acts chapter 10, we see that initially Peter was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. I believe we could even say that Peter got off to a good start. I think we could say that Peter was being consistent. I think we could say that Peter uh, definitely started well, an obedient start. Can I tell you, we need to not only start well, we need to finish well. We need to finish well. Uh, People do remember how we start, but people (laughs) always remember how we finish. Always remember how we finish. Peter started by being cooperative. He started by going to speak to Cornelius. One of the reasons the Bible word we see often, to continue. To continue. We're encouraged to continue in good works. We're encouraged to continue on to perfection. We're to just keep going. One of the visions that I have in my mind from my junior high memory banks. When I was in grade 7, I went to the big public junior high school in town. Now that was a big change from the little school that I went to in elementary school. My elementary school had three rooms. Grade 1 and grade 2 in one room. Grade 3 and grade 4 in another room. Grade 5 and grade 6 in another. The entire school had about 50 to 60 students. Uh, it was a few years after I graduated from grade six in that little school that the school would close down because there wasn't enough students out in the country for that little school to keep going. But I went from that little tiny little country school to the big public junior high school in town in grade seven. And we had gym class when I was in you know grade one through six in the little elementary school I grew up in. Gym class was okay. Go out in the field and play. That was gym class. We didn't have any organized gym teacher. Now, my dad's a gym teacher. My dad, that's what he uh, retired from. He used to tell people that he used to play for a living. And uh, he was a football and wrestling coach. He left that, went into construction, went back and became a gym teacher. My gym teacher in grade 7 was also a distant family relation. Uh, His name was also Coach Rice. And I do not know what his real first name is. I do know that everyone called him Pumpkin. I don't, or Punk, not Pumpkin, there's no P, Punkin uh, is the way it was said. I don't know what his real first, I still don't know what his real first name was. He was related to me somehow. But I have a very vivid memory of Coach Rice 
in my grade seven gym class. The memory was the day that we had to run the mile. How many of you remember having to run a mile? How many of you like to run a mile right now? How many of you think you would probably die if you ran a mile? How many of you know the history of the marathon? Anyone know the history of the marathon? The, the history of the marathon was there was a battle going on, and, and they sent a man to go run back and tell what was going on in the battle, and he had to run 23.5 miles, whatever the distance along. What is it, Colton? 23.2 miles, whatever it is. It's a long way, way longer than Pastor Rice is ever going to run. And he ran all the way back there for marathon, and he told the news of the battle, and then he, he died. That's the truth. Like, hand on the Bible. That, that's history. So what do we do? Let's have a commemorative race every year to run the exact distance that, this, that killed this man. But that's what happened. For me, though, running a mile would probably kill me right now. I wouldn't have to run a marathon. But I remember I ran all four laps. Okay, I lied. I walked all four laps. I had exercise-induced asthma as a kid. I could not run very far at all. If I ran, literally my lungs would implode, and I would almost die. I don't know what time I had for a mile. I am guessing about 12 or 14 minutes. Now, some of you that run, maybe you ran a four-minute mile. Uh, God bless you. I can't run a four-minute loop. Uh, but they, I ran. I finished, I finished my course. I was done thinking I was going to be the last person to cross the finish line. But I was not the last person to cross the finish line. I remember when I got done, I thought I was going to die. I was so glad to be done running. I looked out on the field on that loop, and I saw one boy was still on the field. His name was Jerry Hooper. I don't know why I still remember his name. I haven't seen him probably in, since 1987. Jerry Hooper was about this tall, and he was about that wide, literally was built like a beach ball, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on him. He literally looked like a beach ball. His body shape was round. And I had asthma. I struggled to run, but Jerry struggled more than me. And Jerry was dying. Jerry was out there on the last lap. When I finished, Jerry had like a whole lap left to go. And he wanted to quit. And he, he was talking about how he was going to quit. And my very, very vivid memory is of Coach Rice going out on that track, facing Jerry, and running backwards. And all the way around that last lap, him saying, come on, Jerry, you can do it. Come on, Jerry, you, you can do it. Just, just one more step. Come on, you can make it. And Coach Rice encouraged that boy until finally Jerry crossed that last line. I don't think that day any of us had any idea how fast Jerry made the mile. It was a long time. 
Nobody cared about it. But I guarantee you every boy that was there that day in my class, they know that they remember that Jerry finished. They remember seeing him cross that finish line. It was a powerful moment. It's etched into my mind. I'll never forget that. Peter started well. Peter started to waver a little bit. Paul did not come to Peter and say, hey, you dirty bum, what's wrong with you? When we see in the book of Galatians, Paul sharing how he had to go up to Peter, it was like Coach Rice going to say, hey, Peter, hey, you're not going the right way, man. You need to get back on course. You need, you need to keep being consistent in your life. You need to be consistent in the way you deal with people. You need to get back in your lane of where you ought to be. But Peter started well here. He began the race well. He was cooperative. Uh, he was, had good doctrine. We ought to continue, by the way, in good doctrine, not just begin in it. We ought to do more than tell others how to live in good doctrine. We ought to live it ourselves. You know, we're really good at giving advice. Hey, you ought to do this. We're very bad at taking advice of Scripture sometimes. But we need to be consistent. Consistent. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. 1 Timothy 4, 16, Take heed thyself. The doctrine continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Peter had learned a lot of lessons in his long ministry. Many of those lessons Peter would learn at the sight of Jesus Christ. For three and a half years, Peter would be encouraged and challenged by the Lord, the word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Peter would be encouraged by others. Peter didn't arrive, though. Peter never got to the point where he was perfect. And by the way, we're never going to get there either until we see Jesus Christ. Peter accepted the various rebukes and corrections. Peter became one of the Bible word is pillars, one of the pillars of the church. It was Peter who stood up. And said, hey, fellas, we gotta, we gotta call, we got to get someone here to take the place of Judas. At a business meeting with the disciples, it was Peter who said, hey, uh, which led to Matthias being called. It was Peter who lifted up his voice on Pentecost and said, men and brethren, the same Jesus that you crucified is the Christ. It was Peter. It was Peter who, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, brought healing to the lame man outside of Solomon's porch, telling Israel plainly that they, had been, that they had delivered up and killed the Lord, the very prince of life, and that they needed to repent and be converted in Acts chapter 3. It was Peter who told the rulers and the scribes and the high priest himself that they had crucified Jesus. It was Peter who spoke the word that struck the deceitful couple Ananias and Sapphira to death. It was Peter whose very shadow, the book of Acts tells us, brought hope of healing. 
It was Peter, fresh out of jail for the crime of filling Jerusalem with the doctrine of Christ who would stand up in the temple and preach the gospel. It was Peter who, along with John, was sent on a special mission to the new believers in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. Peter began well. He cooperated well. It was Peter who healed Aeneas, sick of the palsy, and raised up Tabitha from the dead. And through those miracles, many people came to Christ. It's evident that Peter was continuing. And in Acts chapter 10, we see here in this passage, and we won't read the whole chapter, but a powerful chapter of him preaching to Cornelius. But there in Acts chapter 10, we see Peter cooperating with the Holy Spirit to give the gospel to a man that hours before Peter thought that guy doesn't deserve the gospel. Peter would have thought before that guy can't even receive it. It's not for him. It doesn't belong to him. But Peter is cooperating in the gospel. Peter's responsible for preaching the gospel to Cornelius. If you will, Peter was the first missionary to the Gentiles. He, he went outside of his realm, outside of his people group, and he went and shared the gospel there. How powerful that is. Fox's Book of Martyrs gives many instances of people who were faithful to the Lord unto death, who would die staying faithful. Some of the greatest illustrations of continuing are found in the Word of God. Joseph, in the pit, eventually Potiphar's house and in the prison, continued faithful. Daniel stayed faithful. Paul would stay faithful. Continued until their race was finished. The goal of every believer ought to be as we see in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So Peter is being cooperative. How so? Letter A there in your notes his evangelization of the Gentiles. And we see that in verses 1 through 43. We see God working in a way that only God could work. As God would choose Peter, and God would bring Peter on a journey that would bring him to sharing the gospel with this Gentile man, Cornelius. It's powerful. It's powerful how God worked in Peter's life and how God used Peter there. After receiving, as we look here in our passage in Acts chapter 10, after receiving the vision from the Lord, that vision of the animals taken to eat, after getting that commission to go and to preach to Cornelius, Peter was clearly aware he was clearly aware that the gospel was for everyone. He knew the gospel changed lives. 
In verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. That's powerful truth. Paul said, I understand now. Or Peter said, I understand now. That I don't have the gospel because I'm special. That I'm not some special person that I deserve it and you don't. Rather, I know that the gospel works for everyone. Everyone. And we see Peter here going to share the gospel with this dear man. He... Once again, though, needed a bit of an attitude adjustment to get a hold of this truth. How many of you had had a or have a stubborn child? The rest of you are just embarrassed to raise your hand. That's okay. God will forgive you for lying. How many of you were the stubborn child in your family? Raise your hand, Colton. Uh, we, the fact he raised his hands means he probably wasn't. You know, we, we have uh, three children. Uh, without doubt, without question, Josh, who would be my most stubborn child? I, I can't believe he would say that about his wife, but it's true. Uh, she was challenging. That's a good way to put it, Challenging. And stubborn. I remember one time she said that uh, Rebecca told me the story years later that she had decided she got in trouble. By the way, that was a daily occurrence for Rebecca, uh, sometimes an hourly occurrence for Rebecca. And she had decided when she was a little girl that if she got in trouble, if she got a whipping, that she was not going to cry, period. She would die before she would cry. And so she got in trouble, as was her custom, <laughs> and Carrie went to discipline her, and uh, she gave her a spanking, and Rebecca just, no emotion at all, none. After another and another and another, no emotion whatsoever. Finally, Carrie told her, you know, that she... I can't remember the exact wording, but something about she, was, she had to cry, so she went, wah, that was it. Yeah, she was a little stubborn, just a little stubborn. Peter, he was a little bit stubborn. Peter took several attitude adjustments from the Lord. Several times the Lord had to say, hey, Peter, what are you doing? That's why I see Peter a lot. I see the, myself a lot in Peter. We see here in our passage, in verses 10 through 16, look there with me. Now, let's start in verse 9. It says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey, they drew nigh to the city. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So, the sixth hour, about lunchtime, Peter began to pray. Now, look at verse 10. This sounds like something Pastor Rice would do. And he became very hungry. And he would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Of course, he's praying. Thought, oh, I'm hungry. I think I'm going to go get me a sandwich. And said so he fell into a trance. And now we know the Lord gave him a vision here 
And I saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descended to him, and as a great sheet, knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth, and wherein all manner of four foot of beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. For I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time. Notice that the voice spake the second time. How many times does the Lord have to speak to us twice? Sometimes a lot of times. But he spake to him the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And then verse 16, I want you to notice this. This is powerful. This was done thrice. That means the Lord did that three times. And the vessel received up again into heaven. Now, here's what I think is funny. Three different times, the, the sheet comes down, opens up. There's the animals. Lord says, here, kill and eat, uh, and takes it up to heaven and back three times. Nowhere do we see Peter ever got to eat. I think he had to give the gospel in an empty stomach to Cornelius. But three times. I think the Lord did it three times so Peter can say, no, I, just, he just, I don't think you really meant it. Three times, again and again and again. The Lord told him uh, to remind him the importance of getting the gospel here uh, to this man, Cornelius. We, we need to realize that God is no respecter of persons. By the way, we don't struggle with the same areas that Peter did, but we struggle similar ways. We struggle saying, oh, you know, I, I'm just comfortable speaking to people like myself. I, I, I'm just comfortable talking to people that are like me and we have the same interests and the same backgrounds. You know, I, I just can't talk to anybody about the gospel. Actually, you can. Actually, we should. Actually, the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. We want to decide, oh, that person needs the gospel. That person, nah, I don't want to give them the gospel. But Peter here was faithful. He went to sow the seed. By the way, Peter didn't save Cornelius, just as you and I don't save anyone. God does the saving. God does the calling. God does the convicting. All you do is the telling. That's it. It's kind of like uh, people say that uh, uh, they smoke cigarettes. That's not true. Not one person in here smokes a cigarette. The cigarette does the smoking. You're just a sucker on the other end of it. Uh, God does uh, the saving. Uh, he's the one that does all the work. All we do is tell the truth. It's, it's not on me uh, to see someone saved. It's on me to tell the truth. It's on me to proclaim the gospel. But God does the work. It was God that saved Cornelius. It was God that had already began to work in the heart of Cornelius uh, and called Cornelius here. Romans 8, 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. John six forty four. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. The farmer does his best to prepare the ground. He uses the equipment he has available to him. In our culture today, we have 
some pretty high-tech equipment. But there was a day when maybe all they had was stone tools, maybe some Bronze Age tools, maybe an animal to pull a, a very make-do plow or disc. But the farmer from every era only can do what they can do to prepare the, the ground. The farmer today with all the high-tech equipment does all that he or she can do to prepare the ground, to, to plant the seed, to get high-quality seed, to do all the things they can do. But can I tell you what the farmer can't do? The farmer can't make the sunshine. The farmer can't make it rain. I grew up in a farming community. I know what it is during a drought to everywhere you go, hear every farmer say, hey, sure praying for rain. Sure praying for rain. Now, they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't make it rain. All they could do was say, God, would you give us some rain? The old farmers I grew up around, they knew that it was God who gave the rain. They knew it was God who gave the sunshine to make the seed grow. As believers, you and I can plant the seed. But we can't make it grow. That's God's work. God did that in Cornelius' life. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 9. Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I've planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together with God. That's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. God used the power of the gospel to bring about regeneration, to bring about transformation to the Gentiles. Now turn back to your text in Acts 10 and look at verses 44 through 48, the last few verses of the passage. Acts 10, verse 44, while Peter yet spake... These words, the Holy Ghost, fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. What an amazing, thrilling thing it must have been for Peter to be a part of that. But can I tell you what happened after that? we see that the devil tried to get in the way. The devil tried to stop that consistency, tried to bring Peter from where he said, 
I understand God's not a respecter of persons to living like God was a respecter of persons. How horrible that was. Look at letter B in your notes this morning. Notice Peter's explanation to the Jews. If we skip down to verse 1 of chapter 11, and we'll read this first portion just a little bit to get started. It says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they were of the circumcision, contended with him. They were upset with Peter, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and didst eat with him? But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, and expounding it by ordering to them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. In a trance I saw a vision, a certain vessel descended, it has been a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me, upon which when I had fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts of creeping things and fowls of the air, and I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean any time hath entered into my mouth. And the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed. That call not uncommon. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the, the man's house and he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Can I tell you verse 14 is a powerful, powerful verse that needs to play out in every home across every country around our world. The words of the gospel, which can save. Verse 15, and I began to speak, and the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John, indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Forasmuch as God gave them the gift like as did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Peter explains to the Jews, these people who were upset. He went back, told them what happened, and they weren't saying, praise God, Brother Peter. That's awesome. They said, what in the world were you doing there? Why would you talk to a Gentile? What business would you have wasting your time with those Gentile dogs? And Peter shared exactly what had happened. He explained what went on. By the way, sounds pretty familiar to those of us who know of Jesus being accused of what? Why would he eat with those publicans and sinners? Why would he dare eat with them? That's what they asked the question about Peter. Why would you eat with the Gentiles? How could you do that? Now that was the outward pressure. Now these are Christians. These are believers in Christ. Now, were they right in their attitude? Absolutely not. Were they wrong? Absolutely. 
But that was the influence that eventually would lead Peter to deviate, deviate a little bit, to be inconsistent. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Romans 5.12, for as by one man's sin entered into the world. It goes on to say that all have sinned. Peter went on to describe how the Lord made it pretty clear to him, very, very, very clear, that we're all the same. We're all exactly the same. The result, that God was glorified. Verse 17 and 18, we see the glory of God given. Philippians 2, 9, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A quick illustration this morning. We'll close. On this sin-cursed earth, there are many man-made divisions. There are national borders. Ultimately, are simply lines drawn on a map. If you look back on the back wall there, we have a, an outline of the world. That outline of the world, you see no divisions rather than just all the continents there. But if you look at a map, you'll see all kinds of little lines. and You can look at maps from different eras and see lines in different places, different divisions of men. But God sees all men and all women as simply sinners in need of a Savior. No matter what little square or box or shape that person was born in, or where they trace their lineage or heritage, God sees us all the same. As people that he said, I love you so much, I'll die for you. I'll come and die in your place. For God so loved the world, 2 Corinthians says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Galatians 3.28, For there's neither Jew nor Greek, and neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female for all in the name of Christ Jesus. The divisions that Peter began to pull together as Peter began later to say, Hey, you know, I, I, don't, want, I don't want these dear brothers here to be upset with me, so I'm not going to spend time with these people. Uh, but if they're not around, I, I'll spend time with them. And he was inconsistent in his attitude. He preached grace, but then he presented the law. They don't match. They don't mesh. Peter needed that consistency. And by the way, Christian, we need it as well. We need to be consistent. We're going to see in the next few weeks how God used this lesson to encourage and to help Peter. And let's pray together. Lord, I pray you would help us. For Lord, truly, we confess that we struggle. Sometimes we start well and we begin to fumble and fall. Sometimes we get off course. Sometimes we want to quit. Sometimes we just want to stop. Lord, I thank you for being always in front of us, encouraging us to keep going. 
I thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us in all truth. I thank you for loving brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to withstand us as Paul had to do to Peter to encourage us back on the right track. Lord, be with us in the next couple weeks as we learn, as we grow together. Lord, that we would be consistent. Lord, I'm sure thankful that the ground is fully level at the cross. I'm thankful that you're no respecter of persons. I'm thankful that every person is someone whom you died for. And Lord, help us to take that message and share it with all of them. Bless us now. Lord, be with us in our service to come. In your precious name we pray. Amen.